And as our kids get into Kids Word Time, uh, we will uh, uh, go from Mount Sinai where Bill had us in the Ten Commandments uh, to just a few hours before Jesus would go to Gethsemane. There with His disciples speaking these words then and He speaks these words now to us in the Gospel of John in chapter 15. And so as you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel. Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I begin uh, as we dig into this word together today with this reality. It's an apocalypse now. The apocalypse before us today has come and is coming. Now, in as much as we take deeply, seriously, the call to know that Christ is coming again, I'm not inviting you today to put a date on your calendar, right? But I am telling you that the apocalypse has come. In my life, in the last couple of weeks, God has reminded me of that. This word apocalypse in books I'm reading and in sermons I'm listening to and podcasts, God keeps bringing the definition of this word before me. And I I bring it before you today as we come to His word. This word apocalypse isn't just a date on the calendar. It means literally a a revealing or an unveiling. And that revealing and unveiling, as we'll soon discover, comes to us in His Word. But it comes in all kinds of ways. I mean, the first time you got a roommate, it revealed and unveiled something about them and something about you, right? Well, the first time your toddler needed to share a toy with someone revealed something about uh, their feeling about that, uh, did it not, right? The life in marriage that we enjoy Revealed things about ourselves when we get into marriage that uh, some of which we didn't even know and we didn't want to uncover, right? Life in raising children reveals something. You know, I can't help but think of the, the story of when electricity first was brought out west and it would be an event and folks would come to that first home in the first little town that got an electric light and everyone would be there and they'd 
flip the light switch on. And as the story's told, sometimes they'd quickly turn it off, the homeowner would, because you'd see all the soot from their oil lamps on the walls that they hadn't seen before. Some would leave the light on and start cleaning the walls. And some would want to turn it off. Let's go back to the oil lamp. I liked how it looked in the dimly lit room, right? There's an uncovering, a revealing that happens in God's word. And of course, sometimes in our lives, there's an uncovering and revealing that happens in heartache or crisis. You face things like cancer or a loss. Or in that book I mentioned, uh, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, I like how the author, Tish Harris Warren, she just <laughs> tells it like it is when she lost her keys. Has there ever been an unveiling in your life when you've lost your keys? You know, you, you think you're faithful to God, but maybe like she didn't, maybe I'll try playing to a saint, right? Who will, who will help me, St. Anthony, bring me uh, my keys? Or maybe somehow uh, you're an atheist and you don't believe in God, but you know, maybe if there's a real God, maybe he will help me find my keys. And all of a sudden you realize how quick and close you are to desperation when you feel like, I'm never going to find them. And as she talks about in her life, plopping on the couch in desperation. Unveiling and revealing happen. These apocalypse come into our lives. And I want to suggest to you today that as you come to the Ten Commandments, as you come to these Ten words, or if you want to sound academic and fancy, you can call it the Decalogue. It's the listing of ten. These ten words come to us. We'll deal with the first three. And by the way, don't get distracted by how they get numbered. I thought there were the, the Sabbath one was number four. I thought that, you know, the, the scripture doesn't tell us this is number one, this is number two. And so different traditions have counted them differently, but they're all the same 10 words of command. And as we come to them today, I want to invite you to consider what is God revealing to you? I would boldly even say, if you wrestle with the truth of these words, even, even more, ask this question, what is God revealing what is being revealed about God? What is being revealed about you? What is being revealed about us? Luther asks the question a different way when he says this about the first command. He says, what does your heart, he asks, cling to in despair? Because whatever your heart is clinging to in despair, that is your God. What is your heart clinging to, friends, when it's being revealed? Let's come to the text. And let's understand carefully uh, an important context every time this scripture is being spoken to us. Whether in Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5 or even referred to in the New Testament, it always begins with this important introduction. God says, I am the God who rescued you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. 
What is the context of the Ten Commandments? What is the context of God's law? It is the context of a God who is for you. We receive these ten words in the context of, I'm the God that comes to rescue you. And so, what do these ten words mean in light of that? In light of a God who's coming to redeem you. Who's for you. And you hear this phrase, you shall have no other gods before you. What does it mean? What is God revealing now about you? Well, as many have said before me, it's that oftentimes you and I are an idol factory. The problem isn't in this secular age that we don't have any gods, it's that we have too many. As one atheist said in a a now famous lecture to college graduates, everybody worships. It just depends on what they worship. We have too many gods that our hearts cling to. Don't believe me? Let's look at our own hearts now and let this word reveal and unveil an apocalypse of who we are. I'm just going to make it through by working hard. I know life is hard, but I can get us through. I'll be comforted by my success. Or I know I can face anything because I've got my soulmate. Or I'll finally have hope in the future when I see the success of my children. Or the delight of good things that God gives us, like food, quickly go from a, a gift to gluttony when we put our comfort in them. Or the joy of the fruit of the vine and the artistry that comes there moves from a gift to a killer when it comes alcoholism, when we lean on it for comfort. Or the gift of uh, our, our sexuality and sex and marriage moves from this beautiful gift that God has designed to pornography and addiction when we lean on it for our source of comfort. Or when I finally figure out, as as many of us want to do in our world today, my own identity, my self-defined identity, rather than leaning on the fact that a Creator God The artist calls you his work of art and let the artist define you. Unless you think that I'm talking about somebody else, I say to you today, friends, believers, those who are struggling and wondering yet to believe, these moments of life of unveiling, of apocalypse and revealing this word here, whether in crisis or disappointment, is an unveiling for each of us. And so, when you read this first command in the context of a God who is for you, 
What is being revealed about your heart and mine? I pray you continue wrestling with that question, not just today, but throughout the week. And so revealed to us in this word is a God who's for us. A God who says there's only one source of life, the one true God, and we'll have no other gods, but we quickly find out that we do, don't we? Just when we think we can check that box of commandment number one, well, I got that covered, and then we find out when it reveals our hearts, oh, I don't. And then what about us and God? The next two commands remind us of what that looks like. When we don't take his name seriously, our outward behavior reflects our desire to be in control and not God. Luther will even call it the most grievous of sins. Because not only are we just using the the Lord's name as a curse, but even worse, maybe, is that sometimes we speak his name Falsely. We do that when we tell someone who's grieving, oh, the Lord must have needed her in heaven. When you take on the name of God like that, you are speaking His name in vain. Or, when we say, like many scholars did in the 20th century, oh, and like... Adam and Eve did in the garden. God must have not really meant that. Those words don't accuse us like that. We're speaking the Lord's name in vain. Whether we add to His word that's not in the Scripture or take away, we speak His name falsely. And then when we get to this third command about Sabbath and rest, it catches us off guard. I mean... Rest? You see, you and I, we want the imprint of our own work and what we've done. But God says this crazy thing. Rest. Rest in what I have done. You see, in the, in the command for Sabbath, not only is it a sign of God's love for us and, and the human dignity that He gives us, it also reflects back on the promise of what He's done rescuing His people from Egypt and slavery and the promise that is to come in Jesus rescuing us from sin. We get our redemption not from our work, but from God's. And so we rest in Him. But like one of my favorite theologians to quote these days, Chad Bird points out, though you and I love to be in the self-salvation business. And we like to do it in a, a variety of ways. We're pretty creative. We do it in, in, in one regard by saying all those definitions for sin, they don't matter. I want to live the way I want to live and do it my way and enjoy this life the way I want to enjoy it. Your word doesn't matter. Or we go the other direction and we say, all right, those 10 words, those 10 commands, those are boxes that I can check. Yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. 
All the while, not really letting that word do its apocalyptic work and reveal the truth about our hearts. And realize that it's impossible. In fact, what we want to do, as Bird will write, is that we want to render the cross as something that we can avoid, that we don't need. Unnecessary tragedy in the divine drama. But we cannot avoid it. Even as we try to avoid the accusation that comes in the Ten Words, the Ten Commands, the more we read them, the more we find out that these great ways of life are impossible. And so, God's Word, does it bring us to despair? No. When this unveiling, this revealing happens, God's Word brings us not to despair, but to the one who can complete these words. To attaching us to Himself, abiding in Him. And we discover that apart from the one true God, the one and only God, there is death, but He is working to bring us life. So let's come back to that question again. What do our hearts cling to? Friends here today who are wrestling with the truth of God's word, you're wondering if it's real, you're wondering if it's historic and authentic. If that's the place you are today, I want you to notice. Notice how God's command, God's word reveals the human heart like none other. Reveals even what God has done throughout history. That He really comes to us and comes after us. And even invites you today to come and see. Test and see. Come and see what the Lord has done. And friends, who are wrestling with wanting to prove to God and to one another that actually I'm a pretty good person. And this whole idea of being exposed of the self-salvation business is hard for you. I say, don't be led to despair. Don't cover up the soot on the walls and turn the light off. Let that unveiling and revealing apocalyptic moment of coming to His Word lead you to where the law is especially designed to do, to bring you to the Gospel. The God who's for you, who's come to redeem you. And if you, friends, are wrestling with some of those replacement gods today that we talked about, those things that seem so good but fall so short when we make them out to be our God, then hear not only the challenge and the command but also the invitation to come to that one true God, the one source of life who says, abide with me. Attach to me. There is life. And then friends, and I say this with a tender heart today, friends among us who are wrestling with disappointment, maybe even Deep disappointment with God. Maybe you've suffered loss or heartache. 
And God hasn't done what you thought God would do or expect him to do. Maybe not unlike the first disciples who thought Jesus was going to defeat the Romans. Maybe that heartache has yet to come to an end for you. God is speaking to you today and unveiling as well. He comes to you and to me unexpectedly. He comes to a cross where He understands suffering. He comes to the hope of the resurrection, a physical resurrection where He had been dead and then He took a breath and He lets us know that because He lives, that which you are battling, that which you are so disappointed and heartache over, all of this death will one day be undone. So friends, what do your hearts cling to? Do your words, as the command teaches, do they, do they reflect? Do they reflect that heart? Oh friends, religion done well takes us into the presence of God, but oftentimes it's in our own hearts and minds done in a way that it's about what we do. But what the Word reveals to us, it's about what God has done. And Jesus, and only Jesus, can fulfill this Word. And so He comes to us and says, Abide in Me. How does... Abiding in Him, resting in Him doesn't reflect our imprint of work. It reflects His imprint of what He has done. Our life and being, as Luther will put it, gets reorientated on a Sabbath. It's about what God has done. Now I know these commands in theory sound great. And we think, oh, isn't it beautiful that places like Chick-fil-A are closed on Sunday? What a, what a tribute to God and, and to others. Right up, of course, until that point where you drive into the Chick-fil-A parking lot on Sunday afternoon because you've forgotten. You're like, oh. And it's like, oh, but it's not what my heart wants, so this isn't how it should be. Like, we want to take control back even there, Right? And so what are these words revealing about God and about your heart? God's view of human dignity. He's for us. And there's this jealous God wants us to have life and He knows He is the only way to bring it. He even cares not just about the the bosses, but the servants and the land and the animals. He places value as people made in the image of God in ways that we can't even imagine. But this word also reveals the brokenness and sinfulness of our hearts in ways deeper than we'd like to say. 
Let me talk about value for a moment. I came across a story this week. I don't know if it's uh, apocryphal or not, but I still think it helps tell this story for us well. It's about a father and a daughter. The father gives the daughter a, a, an old, kind of beat-up Jeep. And he invites her to, to have that Jeep evaluated in its value. He, first, he sends her to the junkyard, and they offer her $100 for scrap. Then he sends her to a car lot, and they say, well, it's kind of beat up, but it's still a good car. I'll give you $1,000 for more value. Then he sends his daughter to the same, with the same Jeep to a... A Jeep Collectors Club, and they recognize its rarity and its uniqueness, and they offer her $100,000. And of course, the lesson in this little story by itself for the father to the daughter is for her to know to be with ones who place her value high and well-esteemed. But what I say to you today as I hear this story, it reminds me that we need to come to the one who is value, who is the one true God, who creates value, who calls us his work of art. This God, this one true God, esteems you so much that he comes after you and for you because of his goodness. And what is impossible for you is possible with God. And so, as you read this text, again, maybe a few times this week, what is God revealing to you about Himself? What is God revealing to you about your heart? And what is God really asking in these commands? What is His to use a theological term, his sotological plan. That is, what is his plan for salvation? You know what it is? He shows up. He shows up and he says, attach, abide in me. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter in chapter 15, you'll find out who the gardener is. And it's God. He's taking us back to where we've always longed to be, back to the Garden of Eden. And now the true vine, the tree of life, he is attaching us to by himself. The goal of humanity, as one person put it, is to be back in the garden walking with God. But how do we do that? When you read the small catechism, it says, are you a sinner? Yes. How do I know that? Because I read the Ten Commandments. But this apocalypse isn't leading you to despair. This unveiling and revealing is leading you To the God who says, abide in me. This word is taking us to the gospel. Yes, the apocalypse has come. The unveiling has come when we come to his word. And God is revealing himself and he's revealing you. Are we listening? What is God revealing? My prayer for you this day is that it's leading you because I know it's God's desire that it would, to the gospel. Jesus says this, before mentioning, by the way, uh, that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. In the gospel of Matthew, he says this, Come, come to me, all who labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. Let the apocalypse, the unveiling and revealing of his word, reveal his truth to you today. He is the God who has come to redeem you. Have no other gods. Hallow his name. Rest in him and what he has done. Abide in the true vine. Abide in Christ. Amen.